Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. news we just sang the greatest news you'll ever hear in your life it's amazing you guys can grab a seat really quickly my name is Brad the lead teaching pastor here we have such a gift prepared for you today so we had a marriage conference this weekend in this room yeah yeah so a hundred couples were in this room around tables and uh it was Friday night and Saturday. On Friday night, we were not even that long into the conference, and the leader of our marriage conference had us pray together with our spouse. And I peeked. I was praying with Jenny, but I looked up and I peeked at the room, and I saw 100 couples praying together. And I know for a fact there were some of those couples that was the first time that they'd ever done that. There were a bunch of couples. It was regular, but either way, I looked up. I said, we just won. We just won the weekend right here because of 100 married couples were praying together. That will change this church. It was, and the conference, just became, it was just awesome for the whole weekend. If you missed it, we will do another one, and you are not going to want to miss that. But we brought in an incredible guy. His name is Scott. Scott's going to come up. This is Scott Kadersha. He is the marriage pastor at Harris Creek Church in in. Uh, in Waco, Texas. Waco, Texas. Hey, he's an author. He, he's an author. He, uh, so he's written a book called Ready or Not. He followed that up with another prayer book. Um, he has a podcast called More Than Roommates. That He invests his life in marriages. But what he's most passionate about is the local church and that this happens within the local church and that strength. And, and we are so, so excited to bring him in to bring God's word uh, to you guys today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have you stand up and we are going to welcome Scott uh, before he reads scripture. Let's give a big, warm Hill City welcome to Scott Gerritsen. Thank you. First Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12. You can stay standing. We're going to read the word of the Lord together. Yep. First Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Now you can sit. 
had to put my glasses on. For some reason, the font of the scripture is smaller, and I don't know why, and so now I get to take them off, and I get to see how incredible you guys are with my own two eyes. Thank you for hosting us, and uh, such a joy to get to be here. I have heard about what God is doing in Springfield, and it just gives me goosebumps to actually see it in person and to be here with you this weekend. It has been really sweet for our family To get to be here to encourage couples and then to get to be here with you today is such a privilege to open up God's word and to teach a passage that has become really significant and encouraging to me. And so what I love is when you open up God's word and you don't just get to learn from it yourself, I get to encourage you with it today. And so it's going to be, I hope, incredibly helpful and encouraging to you as we open up God's word together. Let me tell you a little bit about my family just because you don't know me. And so my wife is wearing the right color today. She's wearing the, it could be, it could go either way because they're similar colors, but she's clearly, if you see her, she's wearing a Chiefs color very, very clearly. And so uh, you can put that family picture up, please. That is uh, our crew at Harris Creek in Waco. It's on Easter Sunday. We got a family picture together. And so uh, the two of us married 22 years. Uh, To this side of me, the dude with the mustache is one of our twins. His name is Duncan. I went to school with Tim Duncan, the best power forward in the history of the NBA. And we passed by each other one time on campus, and then we decided to name one of our kids after him, totally normal. Uh, His uh, twin brother, who I really badly wanted to name uh, Tim, so we had Tim and Duncan, my wife wisely won that decision. His name is Drew, and uh, Duncan is a sophomore at Baylor University. His twin, Drew, is a sophomore at Belmont in Nashville. Uh, Radically different children. It's hard to believe they're brothers, let alone twins, or even related, so different. Both love Jesus, both great young men. All the way on this side is is Carson. Carson is 17, junior in high school. Great young man, we love him. He's our more athletic child and uh, really love having him in our home. He's about, he's making the college decisions, all that right now. And then next to him, the giant human being in the green is Lincoln. Lincoln is our baby. Lincoln has my kind of football player build and Kristen's height. And he's the gentlest, kindest, uh, loving young man around. And so he's a freshman in high school. And uh, and I love, love being their dad. Okay, next to following Jesus and being married to my amazing wife, Kristen, uh, being the dad to those four is, is the biggest joy in my life. So number three on the list of following Jesus, loving my wife, and then getting to parent these four boys, these four young men. And the reason I love it is, is I did not have such a great experience growing up in my home. I have an amazing mom who I, I love dearly. She's really short and cute and sweet and still going strong. She was married to my biological father, Dennis. My dad died when I was really young. Uh, he had his first major heart attack when I was four years old. He was 37, and he died of a second massive heart attack. He was 39, and I was six. And really, he was absent from my life because he was so sick from you know, from four on. And my mom remarried about five years later to a man who, who I loved and was, was a really good stepdad. He was married to my mom for 30-something years before he passed away. While he was great to my mom and he taught me a lot, he taught me how to cook and how to clean and how to love my mom and, and respect people, he never taught me anything about Jesus. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. 
And I never had the birds and bees talk. I never had the talk to stay away from pornography. I never had, here's how you date someone. Here's what marriage is. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Here's how you treat others. I never had any of that. And I'm not, like, I'm not bitter at my mom and dad. I think my parents did the best they knew how to do. I think my dad did the best that he knew how to do, but there was this big void in my life. And not only was I not taught how to love others and respect women and have a right view of who God is and the Bible and, and, and all of that, that, that was you know, missing from my life. But really more than anything was this presence of somebody just to point me in the right direction, somebody to encourage me when I was down, somebody to comfort me when I needed comfort, somebody to urge me and move me and charge me to move in the right direction. And so I grew up aimless. I went through high school and college. When I got to college, like so many of you are in college now, I hope your experience in college is radically different than mine. Because in college, I went off the rails even more, smoking pot and getting drunk and absolutely addicted to porn and living out everything I saw in porn and just this wild life. And I hated myself and I hated the life I had built, but I didn't know what else to do. And, uh, and I want my kids to have a radically different father. And so that's partly why I think I was so uh, pulled in and drawn in by this text. And, you know, it's all worked out fine. Once, once I got to know Jesus, everything changed in my life. I became a follower of Jesus Christ at the age of 24. It was 1998. Actually, this week, coming up February 13th, 1998, is the night that I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so for 26 years, almost 26 years, uh, I've been walking with the Lord. And my life and our marriage and our, uh, everything we do is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I get to encourage you out of that today. But an absence of, of dad had a big impact in my life because I so often strayed down the wrong path. And I read this text, and, and I want you to, we're going to go through it a couple times. We're really going to camp out on verses 11 and 12. But it says in verse 11, for you know like a father with his children. And so this is not just a text written to dads. I want it to be really clear. And even though it says father like a child, it's encouraging us that we would treat others like a father treats a child. And so whether you are old, young, single, married, male, female, we get to learn from this text from Paul in 1 Thessalonians. We get to be encouraged about how a father treats others, and we get to do the same thing for one another. And so today, we're going to talk through what it looks like to, to really be uncommon as we seek to love others, to stand out, and to live out this admonishment from the Apostle Paul. And so a couple things I want to be really clear that, that I think is helpful. You know, every time we open up the Word of God, we have the opportunity to learn. God's word is inspired by his spirit. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so again, whether you're male, female, mother, father, child, old, wherever you are, this text applies to you because we get to learn from God's word. Second, I want you to see and to know, and, and hopefully this passage, you know, I know many of you, I don't know your stories, but in a room this big, I know many of you grew up in a home with dad who was either absent Passive, abusive, neglectful, harmful. And we all know that our view of our biological father deeply impacts the way that we see our heavenly father. 
And so like maybe more than anything today, I hope today is a little bit of a reorientation on, on how you view your heavenly father. And if you have a great dad, amazing, he still pales in comparison to what God is like. And I want you to see what your heavenly father is like and how much he loves you and desperately cares for you. Third thing I want you to know is that what I share comes, uh, is applicable to every single one of us. And so we're going to talk through three things specifically from this passage that stick out, that, that pop, that ought to apply to every single one of us again, regardless of what season of life that we are in. Uh, the book of First Thessalonians, it's towards the end of the New Testament. It's a short letter. It happens to be right before Second Thessalonians. You're welcome for that. Uh, after the book of Colossians, sixth chapter uh, letter, five or six, my memory's failing me right now, but it's five or six chapters uh, in the New Testament written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica. Here's what we know about Thessalonica. It was a big popular city. It was a trading city, a lot of commerce, a lot of wealth, a lot of uh, destruction, just bad decisions in the city. Uh, we know that, that it's a pretty well-off city in many people, but there's some persecution for followers of Christ. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, I, I know what's going on around you, and I want to encourage you to be steadfast, to be faithful, to endure, to not give up. He's encouraging them to go forward in their faith. It was probably written in 50 or 54 AD, one of the first letters written by Paul. Paul, as far as we know, was never married, never had kids, but he's going to instruct us to live like a father does with his children. And so let me read the first three verses again. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And uh, I, I don't know your perception on Paul, if you've read much from Paul, he tends to be, if there's like a spectrum uh, of the, the grandfatherly, loving, soft, gentle, caring, like you could just cuddle up to him and they're a teddy bear and they're affectionate and they tell you all these great things about you. And then if there's like the person who, you know, the, uh, I know Brad was a gym coach, but I think about the PE coach who's always like firm and tough and like Paul at times is like that where he's got like a brick and he's just going to club you over the head unapologetically. And so sometimes I, I read Paul and I get a little bit of like, oh no, what's he going to tell me? I get a little bit scared. But what I love about this passage is that he, he really is, Paul does this so well, where he's both tough and tender. And this is a time when he's really tender. And he's telling the people, I'm affectionate with you. I, I care for you. I am affectionately desirous of you. He says, uh, you, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while, you proclaim, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. He says, I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want to just tell you things. I actually want to share not just the gospel but our lives as well. And it's this loving, comforting, tender moment with Paul when he tells the people, what he thinks of them. He goes on in verse 11 and 12. We're going to keep coming back to this passage, especially verse 12. It says, For you know how like a father with his children, and when we think about a father with a child, a father disciplines, a father disciples, a father comforts, a father encourages, a father plays a really big role in the life of their children. And he says, Just like a father is with a child, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
And so from verse 12 specifically, we're going to see three things. We're going to see that an uncommon Christian encourages, an uncommon Christian comforts, and an uncommon Christian urges others to live a godly life. So point number one from verse 12, and I know it says we exhorted each of you first in that verse 12, but if you really unpack the Greek behind that word exhort, it really has more of the, of the, of the meaning of encourage. And so point number one is that uncommon Christians encourage. That word encourage, I, I love that word. It's one of my favorite words in the world, in the Bible, and really what it means to encourage someone is to instill courage into them. When you lack courage, when you're afraid, when you don't want to be faithful and obedient and you're scared, Paul is saying we need to help put courage into people. We need to encourage them. If we look at that same word in other places in the New Testament, it shows up in 1 Thessalonians 5, a few chapters later. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you were doing. He's saying, keep going, do not be discouraged, do not quit. In Hebrews 3.13, literally my favorite verse in the entire Bible, I shared that this weekend at the, the marriage conference, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If we don't encourage others, if we are not recipients of encouragement, we're going to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And it's really easy to blame the world for these things, right? There's temptation everywhere. There's pornography. There's premarital sex. There's drugs. There's uh, the, the desire to cheat and get ahead. Like the world provides all of these things for us that we can give into. But really the bigger problem is what's going on in our hearts, Right, this desire that we are so easily pulled off course. And it's really simple to blame the world, but really we need to be in touch with how easily hardened our hearts are. That the temptations of the world can pull us off, that they can pull us aside and lead us down the wrong path. And we need somebody who is going to encourage us to stay strong, to not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, to hate sin, but instead to be encouraged to walk the right road, to be uh, faithful, to be obedient. We need people to encourage us because life can be so discouraging. Right? I I just, like... uh, Everything seems to point us in the wrong direction. Social media, and I I love social media, but it's so easy to look at it and just be pulled off course. It's easy to look around at the lives of others and the vacations they go on and the things they have and the car they drive and the shoes they wear and all the stuff, and it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be discouraged by, like, this is what really gets me more than anything. I didn't say this in the the first sermon this morning, but... Like, I look around, I'm like, does anyone struggle like I do? You know, I just shared, I'm walking with Jesus for 26 years. I'm like, why, why do I still get pulled off course? You know, why am I still tempted by lustful images? Why do I still think, you know, when I'm discouraged that, that a candy bar, a Snickers, a Twix, a uh, I can keep going. A Three Musketeers, a Milky Way, a Starburst, a Skittles, a Sour Patch Kids, all of them. Like, why do I think those things are just going to make all the problems go away? Why do I still get, get angry at times? And why do I get frustrated with my kids? And why am I selfish? 
Why do I still worship my reputation and, and just care way too much about what other people think about me? Like, why is that the case? And I'm just like, I need somebody to encourage me. One, that I'm not alone, and then just to keep going. And so I want us, man, if anyone ought to be encouragers, may it please be God's church. May it please be God's people. May we be the ones who instill courage into others. I don't want to be encouraged by the world in the wrong ways. Let's be followers of Jesus who encourage others. And here's where I think we really need encouragement, is to be reminded of who we are in Christ. Okay, every one of you, this is like, this applies to every single one of us in this room. Every human being on the planet, you are made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1.27, when God created you, okay, that you are made not in the image of the world, but in the image and the likeness of God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are made in his image and likeness. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, Psalm 139, where I need encouragement at times is I look around, I'm like, everyone is so good looking, and I'm, you know, bald from the age of seven. Like, I feel like I lost my hair so long ago, and God gave me hair in all the wrong places and none of the right places, and like, I look in the mirror, I don't like the way I look, and like, God, you must love those people more than you love me, because you made them a lot better looking than I am. And I need to be reminded that, that with all of this, right, the hair, the no hair, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That is a beautiful thing. I need to be encouraged with that truth. We need to be reminded, John three sixteen, the gospel, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for the sins of you and me. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us deeply. I want to remind my kids of what's right and true. I want them to know from a young age that there's something amazing about them. I want them to not believe the lies of the world, but believe what God says about them, what their mom and dad say about them. Every year for my kids, I started this a long time ago, is that every year on their birthday, I write them a one-page letter that just tells them some things I see in them that are incredible. And they're, they're not sinless kids. They're a pain in my butt, Okay. But man, there's so many beautiful things about them, and I want them to know what those are. And so, you know, I've saved them all up. They're in a Word document. When they turn 18, they're going to get, uh, the twins got theirs when they turned 18. You know, like this 15-page document that, that's just a love letter from a father to his kids. And, and to be clear, that's not the, I'm not like saving up all my encouragement until that one moment. They get encouragement all along the way. But they're going to have no doubt when they leave our home. Okay, whether they go to college, take a job, whatever they do, that their mom and dad love them and that their dad sees something incredible in them. And so we want to be people who encourage one another. And you don't have to just do that for your kids. We could do that for one another. And when I think about like how infectious encouragement is, we, uh, we go to a family camp in, in uh, Tyler, Texas called Pine Cove. It's very similar to Canacock. And at family camp, uh, the way this works is full families are there. There's a bunch of counselors. There are a bunch of families. Probably 60 families are there. And so adults go. They bring their kids. Grandparents come. And it's like one big party for a week. We do a ton of fun stuff. And, you know, we learn from God's word. We get to play together. We swim. We do all these fun activities. And we're served all week by college kids, by counselors. 
And the way they do this at Pine Cove, there are counselors who lead and encourage the families. They spend time with the adults. They spend time with the kids. They disciple our kids for a week. They lead us in worship. They do all the fun activities. It's awesome. They have the, it's hard, really, 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 really hard work, but they get to interact with other human beings. The other group of counselors are called CITs. These are the counselors in training, and they're not ready to be in the public yet. And so they're all the way back in the kitchen. And this is almost like they just graduate from high school. They're not ready to be counselors yet. And so they put them in the kitchen, and the jobs that the CITs have are not the fun jobs. Okay, they make all the food. They uh, wash all the dirty dishes that all of us produce. They plate up the food for the counselors to bring to the families. And we were at camp a few years ago, and the director of the camp turned to me, and he said, you know, the CIT set the tone for the rest of the camp. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, if the CITs are unhappy in their job, if they sit in the back and they grumble and they complain and say, i got to wash these dishes and i got to serve up this food, the counselors come in to get the food and they're not encouraged, they're discouraged. They go out to the families and they're kind of ho-hum and then the families are ho-hum and it's just kind of this blah feeling to camp. But if the CITs in the back, if they're encouraging, you know, if somebody comes in and they give a big smile and they point at them and they encourage them, they tell them to keep going, they take that plate of food, the counselors take the food, they bring it to the families, they smile with the families, the families have this better attitude about them and this encouragement is infectious. And I'm like, what if we were like that as a body of Christ? What if we set the tone for what the rest of the world was like? I know this is not a great, this is an election year. This is a tough year. It's been a really rough couple of years as a country and a world. But we don't need to be dictated by the tone of the world. We can help set the tone by encouraging others. Encouragement sets the tone for others. And so let's be men and women who encourage others. Paul goes on to write again in verse 12. He says, we exhorted each one of you and then encouraged you. And I know that's confusing, but the word there, encourage, actually has more of a sense of comfort. And so point number two is that uncommon Christians comfort. And so we see that uncommon Christians encourage. We see uncommon Christians comfort others. Now, this one may be really easy for some of you. It may be really tough for others. Uh, Some of you men tend to say, well, that's not my job. That's a woman's job. That's a bunch of baloney, and you need to get over yourself. Okay, just because you don't, you know, you're not an XX, you're an XY, uh, chromosomal structure does not mean that you get to clap out of comforting. Okay, every one of us are intended and designed to comfort others. And so this idea of comfort is caring for others. It's seeing where they're struggling. It's putting your arm around them. It's, it's encouraging them by giving them comfort and reminding them they're not alone. We see this word comfort come up in John 11, verses 19 and 31. This is when Lazarus dies and Jesus goes to visit Mary and Martha. It says that many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her. And so this idea that we are to comfort one another in the same way that Jesus would encourage two sisters who had lost their brother. 
Yeah, that's what you and I get to do for one another. That means when our kids get a boo-boo, if you've got little kids, it means that you are uh, not telling them to grow up and quit whining and get over it. You're providing comfort to them. When they're scared, you're encouraging them by providing comfort. It's when uh, you remind people that they're not alone when they get cut from the team, when they don't make the grades, when they don't make the fraternity or sorority, you comfort them, you, uh, you sit with them, you cry with them, you empathize with them, you're kind to them. It's not just coming in, and, and this is, I could do this at times, I just want to come in with all the wisdom of the world. I've been doing marriage ministry for a long time. I know a lot about marriage, and sometimes I just want to sit with couples and fix them and that doesn't, they don't want to be fixed. They want to be cared for. They want me to know what's going on, to understand, to empathize with them. And so uncommon Christians will comfort others. I want, to watch, I want you to watch this beautiful picture of this. In the 1992 uh, Summer Olympics in Barcelona, Great Britain had a runner named Derek Redmond. And Derek Redmond was running the 400, which is a really, really, really tough race. And he's one of the favorites to win for his country. He's really, really fast, has a great opportunity to win. And, and this is the semifinals in the Olympics. I want you to watch this uh, quick video about Derek Redmond. Ismael on the left of the screen is running very, very quickly. And inside of Lewis, Sunday Bada, Nigeria. And Derek Redmond of Great Britain has pulled up with an injury. Redmond is out. Derek Redmond, the British record holder and an important member of that British 4 by 400 meter relay team. Look at this. He's going to try to finish his semifinal race. The British have a certain tradition of running, which you have to respect. A bizarre finish to this first semifinal in the men's 400 meters. Derek Redmond of Great Britain pulled up with an injury halfway down the back stretch. He's fighting off those trying to help him to finish the race in his lane. And now the pain too much. Just in, in Derek's toughest moment, you know, public embarrassment and disappointment that he's letting his country down and, you know, disappointed he's worked so hard for this moment and he almost got there. And, and his dad comes up and he puts his arm around him and he, and he puts his, you know, his head into his dad's chest and he just weeps. I'm like, am I that kind of person? Am I that kind of dad that somebody would want to come up to me and just weep? 
and I love that. I'm thankful for it because it's such an emotional video. The part that's really funny when he's like, get away from me. And he's like, you get away. This is my boy and I'm with him. And I love that, that he's fighting for his son. And an uncommon follower of Jesus, an uncommon Christian comforts others in the tough moments. I, uh, I get to get a front row seat to this every single day. In the way my wife just so beautifully comforts our kids. Like sometimes they come home with a problem or an issue and I'm like, that's stupid. It doesn't matter. In the big picture, it's not a big deal. You'll get over it. Quit it. And she just will sit with them. And that, that's why they choose to go to her. And I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm really am a good dad. I really, really am. <laughs> uh, you t- typically, like, how bad would it be if I came up here and said, I'm probably the best dad that's ever walked the planet. I'm a really good dad. Okay, but she's an exceptional mom. And our kids just love finding comfort with her. And what if, again, what if we played that role? How amazing would it be if the body of Christ if that's what we were known for, we're, we're often known for, for throwing stones and being judgmental and bigoted and all that stuff. And partly we're just standing by biblical convictions. But, but what if instead of being known by those things, what if we were known as people who comforted others? Who didn't necessarily agree with them, but we opened up our lives to comfort people to care for them. And so an uncommon follower of Christ, an uncommon Christian will comfort others. Paul goes on to say in verse 12, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so point three is that uncommon Christians will urge. They charge others. They help them move forward. This is is a really big deal. Okay, this is when we see somebody making really destructive decisions and we step in and we're pulling them towards the light. We're pulling them towards truth. Okay, the way this plays out, and just, you know, you might be the only one who's choosing to make some decisions, but you're watching somebody who's a roommate, a friend, uh, uh, somebody you're in school with, somebody you work with, somebody who claims to love Jesus and know Jesus, but they're making destructive decisions. They're spending the night, they're looking at porn, they're having sex with somebody who's not their spouse, they're, they're cheating at work. They're little white lies that are here and there that they think really aren't that big of a deal. But somebody who's uncommon will urge those people towards the light. Okay, they don't just sit there and like tap them on the shoulder and go, hey, you're walking the wrong direction and if they keep moving the other way, they go, okay, I tried. No, this is actually insisting. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4, He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Like this is a strong word. This is not just a gentle encouragement or comfort. This is, hey, you are walking towards death and I'm going to do everything I can to drag you in the right direction. And you may still choose to do what you want to do, but I'm not going to be the person that's going to watch you move your life to hell to sin, to death. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to do whatever I can to pull you along. And where we struggle, is where I struggle, I'm just going to speak for me, is when I do those things, you might not like me. Right? You might be disappointed. You might think, well, you know, just let me go do my thing and what's wrong with you and you're being judgmental and you're being prideful. I just don't want to care. 
Like, I want to care about pointing people towards the light. And if I do everything if I, I can, if I'm doing everything I can to urge them and charge them to walk towards Jesus and to obey and to be faithful, and they still choose to go the other direction, I'll put my head down at night and sleep really, really well. I'll continue to pray for them and care for them, but I want to do everything I can to urge others to be like Christ, to walk in the light, to be a part of the body of Christ. So often this happens when people isolate, they run away from the body of Christ and they just do what they want to do. And we want to be people, again, like what if this church, what if the body of Christ was marked by people who urged others to walk in the light, to obey, to, to realize the abundant life is found in Christ and Christ alone, not in the stuff of the world, not in sex, not in drugs, not in getting drunk, all of that. We want to point people to live lives worthy of the gospel and urge them to follow Jesus with everything in them. I'm so thankful that people have done that for me in so many different ways, shape, and form over the years. That as I've made destructive decisions, especially as a new Christian, that I had people who pulled me along. And it's not just when I was a new Christian, it's, it's when I, I continue to struggle in different areas. I think of specifically a few years ago, I, I, was, uh, I was really making just a bunch of bad decisions about my eating. And I just ate whatever I wanted, did whatever I wanted. I had two friends, Blake and John, who took me out to lunch at a healthy restaurant and sat down with me and lovingly told me, hey, you are making decisions where you are literally killing yourself and your health. And they're like, we want to do everything we can to pull you along and point you towards the light. And of course I've got to eat, but I need people to help me make good decisions. And so what would it look like, church? What would it look like, Hill City, if this was a place where we urged others to become more and more and more like Jesus and we pointed people in the right direction and we weren't afraid of what they thought of us? We were going to do whatever we could to point them towards Jesus. And so in summary, uncommon Christians encourage, uncommon Christians comfort, and uncommon Christians urge others to live lives worthy of God. Uh, if you're serving communion, this would be a great time for you to head to the table. And I want to tell you one more story before we continue to worship together in a few different ways. So um, the best ministry advice I ever got, the best advice I ever got in life came from, from a man I worked with years ago, a pastor. And a little bit of our story, I told you I became a follower of Christ in 1998 uh, Kristen and I met. It's a great story. She was my teacher, uh, which is a whole nother deal going on there. Uh, I was hot for teachers. She wasn't so hot for me, but I finally convinced her to go out with me. We got married. We became uh, really plugged into a church in Atlanta, and God got a hold of my heart. I was in physical therapy school at the time and decided that we decided I was going to go into full-time ministry. And so we moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Dallas, Texas, and uh, have, you know, I thought we'd be in Texas for four years, and then we'd go back to Atlanta. God had different plans. We got plugged into a great church in Dallas. A lot of you might know uh, JP, Jonathan Pacluto. We got hired the same time together at our church, and we shared an office together for a year, and really sweet season of growth. And we were part of this church in Dallas for about 17 years in different forms, you know, part-time for a few years and then full-time for a long time. And, uh, and I struggled when I was a part of this church staff. Because I looked around and there were a bunch of people who were really, really, really gifted. 
and I wanted the communication skills of Todd or JP. I wanted the, the worship skills of John. I wanted the, uh, the pastoral care acumen of John or Wes. And I looked around at all of these people and I got really discouraged because I didn't have the gifts that they had. And my friend, this pastor, was really loving enough to multiple times, over and over and over again, to sit me down and remind me of something really true. He would sit me down and he'd say, Scott, here is where you are extraordinarily gifted. You are a pastor. You are someone who encourages others. You have the gift of encouragement. I'm like, well, I don't want the gift of encouragement because it doesn't get me speaking gigs. It doesn't get me followings on social media. It doesn't get me book deals. I don't want to be an encourager. I want the gifts of others. He said, well, Scott, it doesn't candidly matter what you want. God made you and designed you in a certain way to be an encourager. And over time, he said, Scott, you are an encourager. And he kept telling me over and over again, Scott, you're an encourager, you're an encourager, you're an encourager. And over time, I really began to like what it felt like to be an encourager, to use the gifts. It's actually when I most become alive is when I get to encourage others. And so I, I kind of deep down, I think I'm a cheerleader at heart. Now, I, this is not the cheerleading body type. I'm not going to be a cheerleader in any way, shape, or form, but I want to be the biggest cheerleader for others. Okay, for my kids, for others, my word of the year is strength. I want to strengthen others. I want to encourage people. And so he said, you need to know yourself, you need to like yourself, you need to be yourself. And I love that. It has changed my life. It is advice, it is counsel that has allowed me to lean in. So I tell you all that because, because I want you to know those. I want you to know yourself, to like yourself, to be yourself. And I want us, I want you to be a body of people who encourage others who point them towards the truth, when they are lacking courage, when they're pulled offside by the deceitfulness of sin, I want this to be a place where you would encourage others and remind them of what's right and true about them. I want you to provide comfort. I want you to be different than the pattern of the world. I don't want you to brush problems away or minimize them or tell them to get over it. What if you were a body of Christ here in Springfield who comforted others in an extraordinary way? And then what if on the college campus in the workplace, in your homes, that you were a group of people, that this is a group of people who urged others to be more and more like Christ, to live lives worthy of the gospel. I'd love to pray that for you uh, as we continue to worship together through communion. Brad's going to come up in a moment, but, but I want to pray for you that this would be the kind of church where you encourage, comfort, and urge others. And so God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every man and woman in this room, whether young, old, single, married, wherever season of life they're in, God, I thank you that they're here. And I pray, God, today that they're encouraged by your word. I pray that we would be a group of people who uh, love others and encourage others like a father does with a child. Thank you for how you do this with us that you encourage us with your word and with your spirit and with your people and you comfort us. You know what it's like. You know what we go through and you don't brush it off. You comfort us. And God, I know that you desire that we would walk with you. I pray that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God, I pray that we would not be pulled off sides by the stuff of the world. And God, I pray that this place would be a 
community filled with people who encourage others, who comfort others, who urge others to live like your son Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.